The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Open your Bible to John 4, and I'll be reading from verse 4 to 10, and then from 38 to 39 to 42. So John 4, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Well, good morning to you. Uh, if you're new here this morning, I just want to extend a warm welcome to you. And also, just to bring you up to speed, uh, last week we kicked off a mini two-part series entitled Intentional Witnesses, as you can see. And if you are around last week, we looked at certain things that need to be in place first before we will ever engage in intentional witness, kind of coming alongside others, sharing our faith with our non-Christian friends. Last week, if you remember, I promised that this message would be more practical. And so let us just kind of start by thinking about a definition of witness. Because if you were here last week, I just kept using the term witness, 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 witness. But I didn't define it. I just assumed knowledge. And maybe for some of you, that wasn't that helpful. And so this is how I'm using the term. This is how I understand the term. I think the Bible explains witnessing this way. So to witness means... To have a public faith, we're going to flesh that out this morning, public faith that seeks to connect our non-Christian friends to Jesus. That in a nutshell is what witnessing in is. It's to to connect, it's to have a public faith that that connects our friends, colleagues, neighbors, etc. Maybe your friends are your neighbors as well, that would be a good thing, uh, to Christ. This is what witnessing is. And so to, to make this definition more accessible and a living reality in our lives, I want us to think about the following diagram, okay? So I've got a diagram on the screen, and we're going to look at this. There's three parts to it, as you can see. And I want you to kind of self-identify. I just want you to ask yourself this question as we consider this diagram together. Where would I place myself on this diagram? A, B, or C, all right? Here's A. Some with, with a private faith. Some with a private faith has non-Christian friends. So if this is you, you have non-Christian friends. Gold star to you. Excellent. But here's the thing. Your friends don't really know that you're a Christian. Right? They may have a vague idea that you go to church or you're a part of some kind of religious group, but that's where it stops. It's, it's a private faith. Is that you? Secondly, 
Person B, a pietistic faith. Now, just ignore the title for a moment. Don't get sidetracked by the title. This simply means that you're someone, if this is you, who doesn't have any non-Christian friends. All right? Yeah, you kind of go to work with, obviously, non-Christians and your neighbors non-Christians, uh, some of your family members non-Christians, but really all your tight relationships, all your good friendships are with Christians, those in your connect group, those here at PCC. Is that you? Person C. Of course, someone with a public faith. Now, the difference here is that the person with a public faith, they too have non-Christian friends, like the private faith person, but they really do know, your friends really do know that you're a Christian. Why? Because you've probably told them, and maybe you've invited them to PCC, to an Easter event or something, and also you really allow your Christian values to shape your work ethic or your conversation, just Jesus keeps popping up everywhere in your conversation, right? So your friends know that you have a public faith. Now, the intention of this series and this sermon in particular is to help all of us move towards being a person C, right? Someone with a public faith. Now, if you've just found out that you are either someone with a private faith or pietistic faith, don't stress, don't beat yourself up. It's good news, By the end of this morning, I trust that we'll have more courage to be people with a public faith. Okay, so this is my uh, uh, two-part plan um, for this this sermon this morning, two-fold plan. First, we're going to think about the things that actually muck up our witness that kind of get in the way, that trip up our per- personal witness. And, and, and what we're going to do is actually look at four things that will always ruin our witness. All right, so that's first. And we're also going to see how the gospel really addresses, the gospel of God's grace in Christ addresses and solves each of these hindrances. So that's first. And then secondly, we're just going to look at some practical tips to make us more fruitful and effective in our witness. All cool? All good? You've got to help me this morning, church. Come on. All good? All right. Thank you. Thank you. So in summary, things that trip up our witness, and secondly, tips to help us in our personal witness. All right? So first, things that mess up our witness. There are four main things that will always, always reduce the effectiveness and fruitfulness of our personal witness. And I'm going to list them, then we're going to explore each of them in turn. So here's the first, a lack of sensitivity. Secondly, a lack of certainty. Number three, a lack of bravery. And fourth, a lack of vitality. All right? Really practical. Lack of sensitivity, certainty, what is it, bravery and vitality. I'm <laughs> struggling with bravery here. Um, each in turn. So lack of sensitivity. Nothing will ruin our witness more than lacking humility. And that's what I mean by sensitivity. Right, if those we're reaching out to, witnessing to, sense, just slightly sense that you are coming across strong or you enjoy having the truth, and they sense that you're being superior to them, you know, arrogant, they may nod, and they may even smile, but inside they're thinking, this guy's a complete jerk. This woman is a religious nut. Bigoted, narrow-minded, arrogant, you know, this air of superiority. I want you to notice, we're going to come to our text now, how incredibly humble and sensitive this woman was, this Samaritan woman was in her witness. Listen to what we read in verse 39. This is what John tells us. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. That is, they believed in Jesus. This is incredible. They'd never seen Jesus for themselves. How? How did that come about? Because of the woman's 
Testimony, wow. And what did her testimony witness consist of? Listen to the words. He told me everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever Now notice, she didn't come to these guys in her town and say, oh, by the way, I've just met the Savior of the world, the Messiah, and I just realized that I was ignorant and my views and my beliefs, they're all primitive, and so that means yours are primitive, and so you've got to get with the messianic program, all right? You're wrong, I'm right. There was not an air of arrogance at all. She simply says, and humbly says, he told me everything I ever did. Now, what's the backstory here? Because clearly, these are humble words. She's being very simple, yeah, but very transparent and humble. The backstory, if you're familiar with the story, is this. She rocks up at this well, and she's by her lonesome. All right, we'll, we'll come to that later. And Jesus engages with her, and she's completely gobsmacked by that. Because here she is, she's a woman and a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew, he's a guy, and he interacts with her, and clearly he's trying to woo her to the kingdom. He's trying to win her heart. Then he starts revealing stuff about her secret life, her dark life. And she realizes, hold on, this guy must be a prophet because he can actually see my heart to the bottom. And yet, amazingly, and this is what melted her heart, he still loves me with all his heart. He still accepts me. Verse 10, we're told that he offers her living water. Verses 13 and 14, he talks about living water, that if you just ask me, I'll give you this soul-satisfying water, this life, eternal life he talks about. And so clearly, this woman's like, he knows me completely. He can see my heart to the bottom. It's depravity, it's sin, it's selfishness, it's corruption, it's brokenness, but he still loves me thoroughly. Amazing. And that melted her heart. So by the time she gets back to the people in her town, her witness was sensitive. Come and meet the one who told me everything that I ever did. You see, her witness was sweet because she had had an experience of God's grace. And our witness, church, will be sweetened to the degree that we experience in our hearts the grace of God. Because you see, it's this realization of the grace of God that caused our witness to be sweet. It was Andy Stanley who said that the church is most appealing when grace is most apparent. Do you like that? I love that. But you know, tragically, the opposite is also true. The, grace is mo- the, the church is most appalling, not appealing, but appalling when grace is most absent. And I pray as a church that grace would not be absent here in our preaching, but more importantly, by the way we conduct ourselves. We would know that we are sinners saved by grace, and that would make our witness tender and sweet. Amen? That we wouldn't lack uh, uh, sensitivity we would have a lot of humility because we would realize, hold on a minute, God saw my heart to the bottom. He still sees my heart with all its bitterness and anger and sinfulness and selfishness. And yet still he loves me with all his heart, so much so that he gave me Christ to give me these living waters that will never, ever run dry. So that's the first, lack of sensitivity. You with me? Awesome. Are you sure? Yeah, great. All right, lack of certainty. Number two. Thank you, Michael. Lack of I don't know why that verse is up there yet. Just, just back, that'd be great. The other one. Oh, I think I messed up. It's my fault. I messed up the slides. Russell, you're doing an awesome job, mate. It's my fault. We'll come to that verse in, in a minute. Lack of certainty. So lack of sensitivity. Was I insensitive just then? Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> lack, of, lack of certainty. 
Lack of certainty. What do I mean here? Nothing will grind our personal witness to a halt like lacking in certainty. What, what do I mean by this? We're actually thinking that people are just beyond the reach of God's grace. Like they're in the too hard basket. Like, you know, he's not the Christian type. And she's not the Christian type. Oh, and you were? <laughs> Before Christ saved you, you were the Christian type. Church, back to the verse. Romans 3.11 says, no one seeks God. What does that mean? There is no Christian type. That's the point. There is no such thing as the Christian type. Look, here's the big question. Do we really deeply, truly believe that we are sinners saved by grace? Okay, really. Because sometimes I don't think we do. Because you see, if we did then we would realize that all of us are walking miracles. Because as we saw last week, we were, before coming to faith in Christ, dead in our sins. Not limping along, not half dead, not sick, not mortally wounded, but dead in our guilt, dead in our condemnation. And not only dead, but enslaved to the tyrants of the world, the flesh and the devil. And what did we experience? We experienced the miracle, the miracle of new birth. Our hearts were like icebergs before God. And yet, what did he do? He breathed his life. He melted our iceberg hearts and gave our hearts life. Now they worship Christ. You see, church, again, it's the realization that we are sinners saved by grace that inspires the anticipation for people's salvation. You can tweet that if you want. It's the realization, the inner heart realization that we are sinners saved by grace, that inspires the anticipation. God's going to do it. He can. He can save of people's salvation. In other words, certainty rises in our hearts. God can do it. He can save that unreached people. He can do it. He can do it. He can save that person. He can save him, her, my colleague, my neighbor, my friend, my family. He can do it. Certainty rises to the degree that the gospel of grace penetrates our hearts. That's how it works. So come on, let's never fall into the trap of placing people in a too hard basket because God makes his, his business, his pleasurable business to take souls and make them apostle pools. To take women like this lady, morally gone, all right? Everyone had given up on her, but sex, God didn't. Rescued her and made her a witness for Christ. Lack of sensitivity, lack of certainty. Here's the third hindrance. Lack of bravery. Now this Almost goes without saying, but uh, I need to mention a couple of things here because I'm going to kind of drill down deep into why we don't share our faith. Clearly, if you're scared, you're never going to witness, right? But why? Why do we get so scared? Why do we get shy? Why do we lack courage? Well, again, I want you to notice how incredibly brave this woman was in her witness. I mean, clearly, she would have known that the chances of her being rejected and mocked by her own people were great. The chances were great. I mean, after all, she was the town flirt. And no doubt, the subject matter of the people's gossip, oh, do you believe it? Like, like this time, the guy she's shacked up with is not even her husband. She knew that. And yet here she is, verse 39, she leaves her jar at the well, and she boldly goes into the town. Oh, let me tell you about the safety of the world. What had changed for her, church? What had changed for her? Well, again, a bit of backstory. We're told, verse 6, that it was noon. 
Jesus is tired, he sits at this well, and this woman approaches him, and she's by her lonesome, and it's noon. Now, it's very unusual, very unusual. Two things are really strange about that. First, women didn't go out at that time of the day. It was, just, it was the hottest part of the day. It's kind of stupid. Uh, and also, women didn't go alone. They went in groups because they're women, you know. They could be seized upon, they could be exploited, uh, robbers could, you know, do nasty things and all that. And so here she was by herself. Why? Why? Why at this time of the day? Why? Well, it's likely that she felt like a social outcast because of her moral state. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, she felt like an emotional prisoner, even though she was physically free. Maybe she feared the look. You know the look? The scathing, belittling, disapproving look, that look. And maybe the tut that goes along with that look, you know the one I mean? Oh, you've never experienced it? Only me? All right. That kind of disproving look and the, and the shake of the head and the tut. And maybe those belittling, scathing mutters under one's breath. And every, I can't even do it. I can't even get it all right here. But shame on you. Shame on you. And yet here we find her, verse 39, going into the town. What a change for her. Answer, everything. Everything had changed for her, including, listen, here's the point. Here's the issue. Here's the reason why we are not brave, why we're lacking bravery and courage. Including where her identity rested. Including where her identity rested. You see, we will always be unsure, cautious, even cowardly in our witness if we don't rest our identity firmly on who we are in Christ. And how God sees us in Jesus. For example, if your identity, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it's worth repeating here because it's so you know, important for us as we're considering witnessing. If your identity rests in people's approval of you, validation, you need to be in the in group. Wear the right things, say the right things, do the right things. Then clearly you're not going to witness because you really, really need people's approval. And this doesn't only happen for those that you need, by the way. Peer pressure applies to all. You just want to be in the in-group. You know, at work, with others. If you really need people's approval and validation, their acceptance, their affirmation, then, then clearly you're not going to talk to them about Jesus because, well, you fear their disapproval. Because that happens, right, when you start talking about Jesus. When you start letting Jesus out of the box. What about this one? Here's a different, different example. If your identity rests in your professional success or your career, you know, you really got to climb the corporate ladder. Now, just parenthesis, just need to add this because I often use this example, this illustration, right, about climbing the corporate ladder. But I, hear me now, I never want you to think Lewis is against that. Like Lewis always preaches against climbing the corporate ladder. Look, listen to me. If you climb that corporate ladder for Jesus, climb to the very top. Amen. Climb to the very top because God needs his people in every strata of society, including right there at the very top of the corporate world, so that you have influence because he's gifted you, he's wired you, he's given you abilities and talents to be there at the very top for his namesake, for his kingdom. But here's the temptation. If you climb the corporate ladder, just one rung, 
another rung, another rung. Because your identity rests there, because it has been sown into you from knee high. That Hey, if, you're, if, you, if you really want to matter in this world, if you really want my validation, you've got to be successful in this way. And your identity rests in your professional career and your success. Watch out. Watch out. And again, clearly, you're going to be shy when it comes to witness. Because as I said a couple of weeks ago, climbing the corporate ladder, largely, well, yeah, there's skill, there's talent, there's ability. Yes, yes. But also, you need to keep those professional relationships sweet. You, you can't stir the pot. You can't rock the boat. All right? You can't say something that's offensive because you might not get the promotion. You'll be demoted and you'll find yourself actually going down the ladder, not up the ladder. And yet, listen, church, if our identity rests in where this lady's identity rested in Christ, we'll have the boldness. She knew, she must have known that the people were going to disprove of her. But you know what? She didn't care. She still said, let me tell you about the one who told me everything. Because her identity was in Christ, increasingly so. And she cared more about that and less about other people's approval. Amen? Again, to the degree that this gospel reality of who we are in Christ goes deeper and deeper in our heart, the more bravery our witness will be. We'll become, we'll be brave, we'll be courageous because we'll realize, hey, we're approved of by the king. And so if people despise us, reject, oh, by the way, let me just add this, not in my notes, but I needed to share this. You know when it says here in verse 39, they believed in him because of the woman's testimony? You know the word testimony witness it's actually the same word for martyr in fact when they the early christians wanted a word to describe the persecution this is the word they chose now think out the implications think out the implications it's clear it means that when we witness for christ guess what there's going to be persecution there's going to be hostility in the workplace at uni at school in your neighborhood praise be to god it won't be all the time but I guess uh, in our social climate, you know, post-post-post-post-post-Christian nation, um, it's going to be that way. And so we need these, our hearts, the roots of our hearts go down deep into who, who we are in Christ. Otherwise, we're always going to back away, shy away, retreat from witness. Amen. So lack of sensitivity, lack of certainty. Are these helping, by the way? Lack of bravery. Now, fourth, lack of vitality. Lack of vitality. What the heck do I mean here? Lack of vitality. Well, I certainly don't mean for you to pop more vitamins. Right. And notice I said vitamins, not vitamins, because that's how it's pronounced. Okay? Now, now that I've thoroughly offended you, um, let me give you a quote from another. Yeah, very insensitive. Thank you, Dash. I'm lacking. See, I need the gospel to work on my heart. A quote from another Englishman, uh, John Stott. I'm just digging a hole. I'm jumping that hole. John Stott, who's now with the Lord, but he said this about personal witness. These are challenging words. He says, Nothing shuts the mouth and seals the lips, ties the tongue, like the secret poverty of our own spiritual experience. Now, we should be weeping about now. Like, so clearly you didn't hear this quote, so I'll mention it again. Nothing ties, shuts the mouth and seals the lips and ties the tongue like the secret poverty of our own spiritual experience. 
You see, when, when, when prayer is joyless and the Bible is just a chore, our witness will always lack enthusiasm. And if, you see, if you've lost the spark and you come to church and you hear sermons on, on witnessing, it's just like, oh, no, there's uh, another chore. You know, you ever seen the spinning plate guy, that skit? <laughs> the spinning plates you know he has to spin the plates and keep all the plates spinning you know and he's frantically going up and down the stage keeping this plate and all oh, that one's toppling he's got to keep that one spinning that one's toppling or well, your Christian life becomes like that and so every church and every sermon just becomes oh I just received another plate got another plate oh it's prayer oh, okay put that plate up oh it's evangelism Do about that okay it's, oh, I've got to be a part of a connect group oh, okay I've got to spin that plate and so when people ask you how was church today? You just say, yeah, it's great. I've received another plate. <laughs> just, just plates all over the place. And some of the plates start to fall and smash. It's like, ah, that's your Christian life. It's one of boredom, drudgery, like joy. Witness? What am I going to witness about? I mean, I'm just this boring, dry, joyless Christian. What's the solution? The solution is exactly the same. Again, it's the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is the solution to 10 billion problems, the issues that we face. Well, well let, me, let me explain the solution to you. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, he said this many, 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 many moons ago. He said, no one can be friends with God. That's what he said. He said, no one can be friends with God. And the reason why I said that is because in his mind, you know, God was way, 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 way up there. And we humans are kind of way, 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 way down here. There's this gulf between humanity and divinity. That's what he thought. And of course, Muslims, they view God the same way. They, they consider it disrespectful to say that you can have an intimate, close friendship relationship with Almighty God. But not Christianity. Not Christianity. And this is what makes Christianity unique in the world, you see. Amongst all the world religions, Christianity is neat because you see the throbbing center, the throbbing heart of Christianity is friendship with God. Jesus says in John 15, verse 15, I have called you, not slaves, students, those who ought to submit to me. I've called you friends. I've called you friends. Now, how did Jesus win and secure this friendship for you, for me? Of course, by going to the cross and becoming the enemy of God. That's what the cross is. It's Jesus losing friendship with God. Because of your guilt, my guilt, my sin. We saw that last week. And so now, the gospel reality is that God in Christ is friend. Which means he will always let us in and never let us down. Because that's what a friend does, isn't it? That's a good friend. You've got a good close friend. There's consistency, there's transparency. And that's the way God is Towards you and towards me. And so when you come to prayer, you come to pray to him, it's like I'm coming to my friend. He always lets me in. doesn't matter how my week's been. doesn't matter what I've done. He always lets me in and he will never let me down. When my identity rests in him, I'll always experience his perfect peace. He's the perfect friend. And you see, to the degree, again, that we experience this, God is as friend, will be the degree of vitality in our Christian lives. Because witnessing, it's like, my friend to my friends in order to connect my friends to the ultimate friend. That's really what witnessing is. And so your witnessing becomes sweet, you see. And so look, we're going to park this first point here. But I want you, in your own prayer time, whether that be in the car or in your bedroom or out walking, I want you to take these four hindrances 
to witnessing effectiveness. And I just want you to spread them out metaphorically before God and to say, Lord, can you just deal with these issues? And, and maybe for some of you, it's like a four-way tie, all right, as it is for me. All right? I'd struggle in all these areas. And so just bring them before God. Amen? All right. Second part. How are we going? Cool. Got one minute. <laughs> I got up a little late. <clears throat> that means I'll take liberties. No, I won't. I promise you. So things that trip up our witness. Now, now tips. Real quick, rapid fire. Things that will make our personal witness more effective. All right, and bring some personal illustrations and examples. And I trust they will help. By the way, you don't have to frantically, madly write these down because in next month's newsletter, we're going to put it in there for you. Right. So five eyes. You ready? The first eye. Intercede. First step, first tip, intercede, intercession. That is, just pray, Lord, just put, as Dash led us during the prayer time, just put one person on my heart that you want me to come alongside, to love, to show kindness to, to you know, uh, connect them to Jesus. Just, just one person. You know, I think one of the devil's ploys, especially for those of us who are kind of zealous about witnessing, is to overwhelm us. And actually, he wants to cause you to be too thinly spread. I think that's his ploy. And so you just need to backtrack and say, Lord, just, just one person, just one person. And if that person's already on your heart, then just pray for God's favor upon their lives. Pray that they'll be drawn to Christ. Pray for opportunities to share Christ and see ways to show kindness to your friend. That's the first thing, intercession. If you don't intercede, then nothing is going to work. It's not going to be fruitful. The, the second I, include. No, inform. <laughs> inform. What do I mean? Inform them that you go to church. That's it. Inform them that you go to church. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, some strategy that is. Just tell them that I go to church. Let me tell you the power of this. Some time ago, maybe 14, 15 years ago, uh, when I was working as a hairdresser in Parramatta, I had this one client. He came in, and I got chatting to him, and he just said to me, you know, as you do, how was your weekend? And I said, yeah, I had a great weekend. I went to church. How was yours? And he stopped, and he said, Oh, you go to church? I said, yeah, I go to church. But it's just North Parramatta, Parramatta Christian Church. And I just left it at that. Well, the next time he came in, he was a bit more curious and he had some questions. And the next time after that, again, it just developed and it grew. And then we had this traveling evangelist from, from New Zealand. You know, the Kiwis, they're good at articulating the gospel. And that sounded more South African, I know. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I invited this client to the event and I was cutting his hair and he said yes I was so shocked I almost cut his ear off like (laughs) so he came he came he came and lo and behold he went forward I can't just believe it and 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 he he was here at PCC for four or five years then he met ruined it he met a girl all right met a girl lived in the mountains and he moved there uh to my knowledge he's still walking with the Lord he's married happily married they've got kids how did that start how was your weekend yeah it's great I went to church that's how I started. Inform them that you go to church. Thirdly, include. Include. What do I mean here? Include Jesus in your conversations. Include him. Often we talk about Jesus at church and connect group. But, oh, we get a bit edgy, a bit scared to actually include Jesus. What do I mean? Well, here's an example, and you can apply this example to your particular situations, all right? 
So just say you're a woman here and you're, you're, you're at work and you're reaching out to someone and this woman, you know, you've built a friendship, there's a connection there and, and she starts to share to you, with you, um, I'm just really struggling at home and the kids drive me mad and you know, and I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm losing my patience as well. My husband, I know it never happens here, but you, you, you're struggling <laughs> with your husband. And, and you may say something like this, right? You just bring Jesus in by saying something as simple and as profound as this. You know what? I, I struggle with the same things. Maybe I'm not exactly the same thing. You know, you're trying to empathize, of course. Um, but this is how Jesus is helping me. That's all you need to say. Bring Jesus in. Let me again tell you the power of this. I am standing here today because someone did that with me. I remember a short story because I don't have time to give you a long story. Short story, super short story. I was chatting to this guy and I just said to him, how are you going? And he said to me these words. He said, I'm not doing very well. So it was off to a good start. I'm not doing very well. I just found out that my fiance cheated on me. And then he added, but Jesus has been helping me through it. And when he said that, I was born again. Yeah, God had been working on me, but that was his appointed time. He just brought Jesus into the conversation, honestly, with humility, bearing his heart like this woman here, being honest. This is how Jesus is helping me. And I was born again. Just bring Jesus in. Take Jesus out of the closet, the church connect group closet, and start to share him. The university, in school, the workplace, in your neighborhood with your family. Bring Jesus in. Yes, with wisdom, of course, be sensitive, but bring Jesus in. Fourth, involve. Involve. Meaning, involve yourself in your friend's pain and their hardships. It's incredible how open people are when they go through hard times and you're just there for them as a good friend. So I'll, I'll, I'll cook you a meal. Just an act of kindness. Oh, okay, you, you and your husband, you need time alone, you know, date night. Okay, well, how about I just babysit your kids? You know, of course, this presupposes that you've built a good relationship with them. Again, let me tell you the power of involving yourself. I've been praying for a guy, one of my soccer buddies, and um, I felt that the Lord put him in my heart and he, he knows that I'm a Christian, right? They, they, they think it's really funny. They've got a priest. They call me the, the soccer priest. And, um, and, I've, 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 and certainly, um, you know, I kind of remember what include means now, but involve. I'm involved myself in, in their pain because I heard that their son was going to have this delicate operation on his knee. And they're a really close-knit family, Greek family. They just love each other. And they were just really, really struggling with the whole thing because it was a risky operation. And so what I do, I, I involved myself. I just said, oh, you, you know I'm a Christian. You're right? I'm the, the priest that plays soccer. Um, do you mind if I pray for you? And, and also, do, do you mind if I just kind of take this need to my church and just ask the church to pray for you, to pray for your son? He was like, absolutely. And, and then he told his wife. And, and he himself told me that when he actually shared it with his wife, his wife started to cry. It's like, they'll, they'll do that for, for us? Because their church experience hasn't been all that great. So they would do that for us. And so we did. If you remember, we prayed for Zach. Three weeks in a row, praying for Zach, praying for Zach, praying for Zach. I went to visit that. I involved myself in further. I went to the hospital. And I knew, you know, he was in a bad way. And so I grabbed one of those PlayStation gift cards and I walked in, you know, I'm the hero. And I dropped that on his lap. And he was like, wow. It's more than an alpha card, but it's like, wow. 
And it was just this really powerful, wonderful moment I had with the family as they were gathering around their, their son. And, and, and I'll come to the fifth eye. Guess what? I, this, it's invite. I invited him. This happened, I think, August, September. I, I invited my friend to the Christmas Eve service. And as I do each year, you know, I make a fool of myself up there playing games and I wasn't paying attention to who was actually in the audience. And when I finally sat down, sat down, and I'm, I'm listening, you know, to the music and that, and I look across, <laughs> and there's my friend, my soccer friend. He's there with his son, not the one who had the operation, but his older boy. And he'll, if you remember, Christmas Eve, it was such a good gospel presentation. And I was sitting there going, oh my, for the first time in this guy's life, he heard the message of God's love in Jesus so wonderfully illustrated and articulated. And so just this week, I invited him to Alpha. I sent him an email, sent him a promo video, and I chose the Bear Grylls one, you know, because he's pretty manly. And so I sent that one. He emailed me back and said, I'm already an alpha male, but I'm interested in coming along to the course. I'm like, <laughs> so what am I doing? Back to the first eye. I'm interceding for him, church. This is how it works. It will make you more effective, more fruitful as you lovingly come alongside your friends. And so invite them to alpha. Come on. Invite them along. It's a non-pushy, non-preachy, non-judgmental Christian program. And I pray that the Lord will use it and other things to save our friends. Because this is our conviction, isn't it not? That he loves your friends more than what you do. He loves my friends more than what I do. Let's pray. Father, let's stand church today, please. Lord, just like this Samaritan woman, Lord, we're so grateful that you orchestrated things in such a way that we came to faith in your son. And we're so moved by that. And so, Lord God, with this experience of grace burning in our hearts, would you, Lord God, help us be intentional witnesses for you? Lord, I pray, would you untie our tongues? Would you, Lord God, unseal our lips so that we, Lord God, may tell of your great works and not only speak your love, but, Lord God, show your love, Lord God, in meaningful ways that draw people those predestined before the creation of the world to be your adopted people to yourself. Lord God, help us, Lord. We need your grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless your church. Love your church. Have a wonderful morning too. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.